love thy neighborhood. Okay, oh, cool. Oh, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission! For, For modern, modern times. times. Hey guys, it's Jesse. So this week on the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast, we have a special surprise for everyone. So today you're going to hear the first episode of our brand new podcast, and it's called Things We Couldn't Say. Things We Couldn't Say is a podcast just for our Patreon supporters. You know, the truth is that we get to the end of every episode and we just have like a laundry list of things that we want to include, but just couldn't because of time. So we just decided we needed another place to continue those conversations. And here's the thing. Things we couldn't say, it is totally different than the Love That Neighborhood podcast. You know, on the LTN podcast, Anna and I really try to stay out of the way in the story. So we don't talk a whole lot about our personal feelings and thoughts on things uh, nearly as much as we probably would like to. There's a ton of data and research and stories, thoughts and feelings that we are processing as we go through an episode. And often we get to the end of recording an LTN episode and we just realize there is so much more that we still are processing about it. So we decided we should do something about that. We recorded our very first episode of Things We Couldn't Say uh, in response to the episode about the Enneagram. You know, we got all the way to the end and it almost felt like a therapy session. It felt like closure. Uh, And the truth is that Anna and I were a lot more present in this podcast. Unlike the LTN podcast where we edit and edit and edit, Things We Couldn't Say is designed to be unedited. It's just a conversation between Anna and I and a variety of special guests with us just kind of wrapping up all of our thoughts. Uh, You know, it's one part therapy, one part journalism, one part campfire conversation. So this is it. This is our very first episode of our brand new podcast. We hope that you will enjoy it. But honestly, we also really hope that you will make the decision to join us over on Patreon and support us monthly. For as little as $5 a month, you can get this podcast. You can head over to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood. And once a month, you'll get to hear things we couldn't say. In addition to that, we have a variety of other perks for different tiers. Head over to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood. And we hope that you will enjoy this very first episode of Things We Couldn't Say. Hey, everybody. It is Jesse, and I'm here with Anna. Hi. Uh, yeah, so, hey, thanks to all of our Patreon supporters uh, for supporting us month after month. And so what we're going to do now is uh, we're going to have a follow-up conversation. So we just released our episode, The Truth About the Enneagram. If you listened to it, you heard at the very beginning that Anna and I wanted to go on that journey to mm-hmm. begin to kind of work through some things, you know, Um I talked about in the episode that you and I are not exactly on the same page, at least at the beginning. We yeah. were not on the same page. Um, and that part of the journey was us kind of, you know, trying to work through a bunch of questions. You know, what do we do with this and this and this and all these details related to the Enneagram. 
And uh, one of the things that you said at the very end of the episode is you admitted, mm-hmm. like, we both have changed our opinions on some elements, yeah. you know, within this. Yeah. Um, it's been quite the journey, I feel like. Yeah. Um, but I think that even before we get to that, because I do want to answer that. I want mm-hmm. That's going to be the big thing we're going to talk about today. But I think there's a handful of things that I'd like for us to talk about before we get there. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I want to talk about is this. Uh, f- for you... What did you learn in this episode that really felt important as it Mm -hmm. relates to the Enneagram? Yeah. I mean, before, you know, embarking on this like episode, I really didn't have that many questions about origins. Like most of my concerns weren't even related to origins. It was like related to like application slash like use. But like once I did hear people's concerns about origins, I'm like, oh, that is something that I could be concerned about. Mm -hmm. Um, so like all of the pieces that we talked about in the episode from like Zach's course, how, like, especially how it's modern, that was probably one of the biggest, um, like revelations. Yeah. Revelations that like, oh, like it's not, um, some like ancient Mesopotamian, Mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, like spiritual like um yeah thing that came from like whatever bc Mm -hmm. um but that like it was like during the 1900s which is really recent Mm -hmm. um that it came about i think that's that was really important to to learn and to know that it's like uh it was it's a big part of like demystifying where it came from yeah essentially yeah um it just like like moved a lot of the dust off of mm-hmm. um, the uh, questions about or like where um, the modern like mm-hmm. enneagram that mm-hmm. we're talking about came from. Uh, so. And like, okay, so let me use like Michelle's language. She used it at the very tail end of the episode. She talked about mm-hmm. uh, like the balance sheet. You know, for you, um, finding out that it's was not ancient. And actually, the, the, the whole ancient thing was just a lie. It was all made up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that it actually it was modern. Did, did that affect the balance sheet in any way for you? Like, was it like, actually, that worked in its favor? Or was you like, mm. actually, it started to work in its favor, but then actually it didn't? <laughs> like, I'm just yeah. curious, like, how I, that worked out yeah, for you. Yeah, I do think there's a little bit of both. It was like, oh, yeah, like, in favor. Like, okay, so it's like modern check. Like, okay, like, gives me a little bit more, like, comfortability, mm-hmm. let's say, with, like, mm-hmm. Um, using it because there's like, I don't know, like kind of a, um, like it's not some sort of super mysterious, like Mm -hmm. clandestine, uh, thing that someone was trying to keep secret for a while. But then also like on the negative side was like, why were people like lying about its origins or like, why did someone essentially Naranjo like need to lie about him creating it if he just made it up. It's like um, hearing the uh, clip when he was talking about Oscar Wilde, that Oscar Wilde quote is like, if you want something to be famous, just like make it up. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, like you're not like helping me out here when it's right. like, <laughs> right. if like it's, if he were here and be like, hey, like I want you to like use this. I'm like, well, like do I want to use something that you're just like lying about and mm-hmm. trying to make like essentially mm-hmm. more... Um, have it be in your, your favor. So mm-hmm. it was like a both and. Sure, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we didn't get to it in the episode, you know, but there's a lot of reason to speculate. 
There's just questions around his ability to be an honest person. Uh, because the other thing, too, that was happening behind the scenes was that he was being, he'd just gone through this huge lawsuit. Uh, he's like, at that point in his life, he's trying to make a public claim that he's the owner of the Enneagram because he was trying to financially benefit off of it. Mm-hmm. And the courts had actually ruled that uh, that the Enneagram was universal knowledge. Like, it was sort of like the law of gravity. Like, no one sure. can copyright that. Mm-hmm. And so he's real irritated about that. So he is... He's also got these motives to say, well, actually, the ancient things made up and I made it up. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's like, just there's like a lot so of there's motives muddy. there. Yeah. And yeah. so and we didn't even have time to, like, go into all that drama. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so kind of like his back and forth is like, honestly, just like a lot to kind of like sift through. And yeah. it's like too much work to yes. decide like, oh, like. If I have to sift through like all of this, he, uh, this is his claim. This is what other people are claiming is like universal like knowledge and stuff like that. I might as well just like it's not like that important to me yeah. to, um, like to suss it out. Yeah, and yeah, to yeah, totally. Really go for it. Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, when I think about some of the like the important things that I learned, I mean, absolutely hands down, the fact that it was modern and not ancient, mm-hmm. that's that's a big deal. I mean, even in my own book, like I released my book in January and it's a really unfortunate thing. One chapter I talk about the fact that it's mysterious, but then I had written this other chapter like months and months earlier where I was still under the impression that it was ancient and was holding to that. So I make reference to it as an ancient thing. And understandably, some people that have reviewed the book, you know, they hit me for that. And and I get that. Um, Yeah. so, yeah, I think that that was a, a pretty big revelation. And then, of course, like, these are really troubling guys. Like, you know, the, these mm-hmm. guys are just... Um, yeah, it doesn't help, like, their case of, like, no. how helpful the Enneagram can be if, yeah. like, they um, they themselves were, like, essentially, like, lying to people yeah. or, like, seeking their own, like, interests yeah. yep. of, like, ownership and, yep. like, money and finance and all of that. I think yeah. I think the other thing, too, that, um, you know, and, and I won't go too far down this path, but, like, the other thing that it just another question that arises for me is just like Michelle went to this to the, her bookshelf, right? She's going through all the books and they're like ancient, ancient, mysterious, unknown mm-hmm. source. And then ultimately we find out ultimately we find out that Roar makes his comment in the book and all, like there's there's a part of me that is really troubled by the idea that so many people told this story about it being ancient. Mm. without really being able to verify that and the idea that, you know, it it turned out to be true. Like Christians bought in at some level mm-hmm. because they believed it to be ancient. And there's this question, would the Enneagram be as popular as it is within Christendom if hmm. we did not initially believe the story that it came from the Desert Fathers? Mm-hmm. And the, so there's a level where like, uh, I feel really bothered yeah. because um, a lot of people have benefited off of that story, um, and uh, and so that that troubles me. And and so anyway, so that troubles me. And at the same time, I'm still I'm still trying to look at the thing it's independent so. and on its own, sure. r- regardless of all of this these shenanigans, you know, that sort of surround <laughs> it. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I, like, think about, 
like, I wonder how much, like, Roar knew about, like, what he was citing. Because, like, what Tyler had said, or, like, somewhere in the episode, it was, like, I forget if this was an episode or not, actually. But it's in, you know, Tyler's course that, like, it shows up in his book mm-hmm. once. And mm-hmm. then in, like, the next edition, it's, like, gone. Yep. So, like, at some degree, like, someone knew, if not Roar himself, that, like, the citation was just, like, a bad citation. Yes. And, like, poor writing. And it's, like... Or the flip side, which is Roar told the truth initially, sure. but then Roar saw that the Enneagram was so, from his perspective, so beneficial to people, I'm not going to trouble them with that detail. So it was like, About, like it, so he withdrew it, not because he doesn't think it happened, but because he'd rather people not know about it, you know? Mm, I, I don't know. Right, yeah. But it's all speculation, yeah. right? Like, we're sitting here and we're like... Maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. Uh, yeah. 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 It's tough because it's like um, a lot of like Christian, like Enneagram kind of like teaching does flow out of like Richard Rohr's stuff. Um, not all of it, but like it's one of the books that is cited the most often. Mm-hmm. Um, and like granted, you know, 1900s is not that far off. So it's like all this stuff is really new. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like kind of in retrospect, I like wonder for like yourself or like other people who are like introduced to it like um and have like like taught it have learned about it for a while yeah like how much time was spent like believing that it did come from kind of like those desert fathers and oh no i mean a hundred percent the the guys that trained me in it who who i deeply respect i mean these are not you know these are not like i don't know snake oil salesmen like these are these are really wonderful godly people Mm -hmm. but they believe that as well and that's the story that they relayed also to me and and then of course that's what i spent years telling as well because i trusted them and they trusted the people before them and so forth so i think uh it also shows like just how effective a good lie can be you know (laughs) like if you tell it often enough i guess like the oscar wilde quote was really was pretty solid yeah Yeah, right right which is like super messed up (laughs) i know uh so okay, let me let me move on to uh, to this next uh, section I want to do in this conversation, which is basically all about like unresolved questions, like things that I really had hoped we were going to get to talk about. Mm, so much. We were just out of time. I mean, this is all—it's already the longest episode we've ever produced for the LTN podcast. So we started having to like throw things out, right? Yeah, yeah. We've uh, had other long episodes. This is like this is up there for sure. Yeah, in, like, I mean, an hour and ten along. minutes is it's a it's a pretty lengthy one. Yeah. So. Um, so I want to just like, I want to kind of click through a handful of questions, uh, here. So, uh, one of the questions that we did not get to really explore very thoroughly, is it scientifically valid? Mm. You know, yeah, can people look at it and say psychologically it's valid? Yeah. And you and I had a whole bunch of conversations <laughs> off the mic yeah, yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, cause that's one of your questions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it was like a question essentially that I was asking based on other people's questions, like online and, mm-hmm. um, people who are skeptical. So yeah. it's like when it comes to, uh, the body of scientific like research, mm-hmm. how much of that exists. Some people claim I haven't like dived deep into this. So grain of salt, like some people claim that like there's no scientific research that's it's basically like pop psychology they think it's just sort of like based off of people's observations it hasn't been like studied at the academic level etc etc so and i know there's probably 
responses to that. Yeah, and there yeah. there are there so there's a few yeah. things. Yeah, so there are some very famous psychologists who think the enneagram is laughable. They they just think like it's it's not helpful. It's not true. That it actually mm-hmm. hurts people. These aren't even Christians. These are just sort of they're psychologists. But then it it gets confusing because then there are also really well respected psychologists uh, who you know they've you know Dan Siegel wrote like the foreword to an enneagram book that came out like a couple years ago and um, and then even on our own show on the Enneacast like we've had you know uh, Dan, Dan Allender, Allender you know and then you get Adam Young Dr Allison Cook like it's all these really brilliant folks yeah they're well um, studied they're yeah. like professionals in their field so one of the things that Tyler pointed out because I asked him that question in, in yeah. an interview I did with him was like what do we do about this question of validity mm-hmm. and he pointed out you know once once the courts ruled that no one could own the Enneagram because it, it was more akin to the law of gravity than it was to like the five love languages that's basically that's where the the courts ruled it was more like this is just truth um once that happened, all like financial incentives were suddenly kind of killed at the giant corporate level. And typically, when something is being tested, it's because somebody stands to gain billions of dollars. Like, that's mm-hmm. kind of how it works. We're going to test this thing and test this thing because we're all going to make a whole bunch of money off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the way that the Enneagram is sort of utilized by a ton of like mom and pop kind of scenarios, there's not somebody out there. There's not a big corporation that's like, oh, yeah, we're going to. Like there's no huge company that's like dumping R&D. That's exactly into... right. <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of people that are making really comfortable occupations out of the Enneagram. But that still is not the same as, you know, somebody that owns like the Myers-Briggs. Like that, it's just oh. you can do way more financial investment. Does someone own the Myers Briggs? I think so. I don't know. I don't know if it's okay. Myers or Briggs. I don't know who owns it. Yeah, I'm not sure. But I think that somebody does own the Myers Briggs, and okay. as, as a result, like they they financially benefit in ways that the Enneagram just it, it can't be utilized in that same way. Mm-hmm. So Tyler just pointed out that reality that um, we there is preliminary research. So let me let me clarify that too. In my research for the episode, I did come across a variety of. Uh, psychological journals of people doing preliminary research regarding the Enneagram. Mm. I'm not like a, I don't do like scientific research. So is that like a first level? Yeah. So the ones that are like, there's one that comes to mind in particular that I found, and I wish I could remember the citation, but I'm going off memory here. But they said uh, in this particular journal that the Enneagram does meet the threshold for uh, validity because it has a predictive index to it. Mm. Um, it has a certain degree of reliability in terms of outcomes. Um, it, it like clicks off a few different things that are necessary in scientific experiments, and it says it meets those. Mm-hmm. Now, the one area that, it, that often the Enneagram doesn't meet the threshold is related to tests. So um, the Enneagram at the narrative level, meaning that you self-identify, you're working through it, you're thinking through it, and you go, you know what? I am a type blank because mm. of this. Test as in like people who take an Enneagram test? Yeah. Okay. So like if you the, like, it's the, so like, I think at one point like BuzzFeed like had like an Enneagram test. Like if yeah. you go to BuzzFeed and you take their free Enneagram tests, yeah. you know, this journal would be like, 
that's not going to be very reliable. Okay. Um, and in fact, in fact, I'm going to be careful how I say this because I don't want somebody to come after me. There is a very, very popular Enneagram test that is out there. A friend of mine who is a leading research in the realm of psychology, uh, he ran it through all of the the rigor that he does as because he wants to be able to have measurable data. And he said that this very popular test that I'm not going to name because I don't want to get sued, uh, he said is two steps away from somebody drew it on a napkin and just started charging for it. He said mm-hmm. it's very, very low. That being said, sure. he ran the WEPs through the same criteria. And he said the WEPs, he went from being actually an Enneagram skeptic to a believer. He became a guy that actually really encouraged me to write my book. And this is somebody that um, his whole world is overseeing other psychologists. I mean, this is somebody that's and, and not just sort of in Christendom and not like a little practice like this is this. Yeah. Anyway, so all that to say is um, um, I suspect that over the next decade, we're going to see increasing amounts of validity mm. on the scientific level. Mm-hmm. So. So but at the time, at this time right now, it's still a little bit inconsistent when it comes to the testing. Yeah, because you got to think of like it really didn't hit mainstream until 2017. Up until that, it was it's all been underground by Mm. and large. Um, If you even look at the volume of books published, not very many exist before 2017. They slowly start building until finally in 22 and 23. I mean, it's just tons. Okay. I mean, there was a time at which I think I owned every Enneagram book out there because they were so finite. Oh. And now I, I couldn't afford that anymore. Like it, it's there's too many books. And yeah. so um, so I think that as we continue to go in that direction, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll see more in that regard. Yeah. So it definitely sounds like it's still emerging. In process. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, next question. If something becomes overused or abused is the wise response to throw it out. And I, you know, we didn't really get to talk about this, but I was sort of just thinking about that question. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's a universal question. Like if I mm. am reading too much and I'm not paying attention to the people in my life, if I'm, if I'm looking at my screens too much, if I'm eating too much, if I'm whatever it is, fill in the blank, if I am doing blank too much is the wise, wise response to throw it out. And I think that the answer is sometimes. I think there are, are a lot of scenarios in which, you know, Jesus calls us to remove a certain thing from our life, especially if it's sort of dominating. Mm-hmm. Um, like taking over our affections and like yes. essentially uh, like worshiping it. Yes. But I also think there's a lot of times where we're actually not called to remove it. We're called to redeem it. We're called to actually put it back in its proper place. So let's say that, you know, there's a guy that... Um, sorry, not to stereotype, but let's say that there's some guy that like every Sunday afternoon, like he loves watching football and the whole family knows he's kind of a grouch because if his team loses and don't interrupt him while he's watching and, you know, there's all these things that need to happen on a Sunday afternoon. He's not doing any of them, whatever is the response that he needs to like give up that hobby. That might be true, mm-hmm. but is it also possible that he needs to start inviting friends in and that he needs to make sure he takes care of certain things before he engages with it and so on. Like, I think that a lot of times Christians move so fast towards we need to jettison this thing instead of first attempting to do the work of what does it look like to actually redeem it and to give it to the Lord and to trust the Lord to 
let me have a healthy relationship with it. But I also think there are scenarios absolutely where people just need to go, this is not good for me and I just need to get rid of it altogether. Mm. Um, so I, I, and I think that the dilemma we run into as we approach this question, I think that far too often we as Christians, uh, when we're giving counsel to others say, you need to get rid of that thing. Like we jump to the, you know, we start enforcing rules on other people. You need to get rid of that. Or we start enforcing license on others where we're just kind of like, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. But if that person's feeling a conviction, mm. we need to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what comes to my f- mind for you, like in terms of, you know, if something like the Enneagram gets uh, overused or abused, is that mm-hmm. enough reason alone to throw it out? Yeah. Um, I mean, based off of that, like prompt, um, like, that's under the assumption that like it's good to begin with. And I think that's the thing that we talked about though, yeah. is that like for some people, that's like the dividing line that we talked yep. about. It's like yep. for some people, it's not even good to begin with. So yeah. it's like, um, you can't say the same thing. It doesn't apply to something like, like murder, that mm-hmm. super extreme example, but it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, like if, if you only do it, if it's like harmful to you, <laughs> then it's like, yeah. um, something that you can if it's harmful to you then you like you need to stop so so that was really convoluted but essentially it applies to things that are good to begin with and for me at least like i my like gut right now is like it's pretty neutral like the enneagram is pretty neutral Mm -hmm. um as it is like a thing Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and so like yeah when it comes to like the application slash like um like use of it if it's not um, healthy to like someone who's using it or like how you're presenting it to people like it's either like hurting others or like hurting yourself then yeah like definitely needs to be like examined again mm-hmm. and like checked um, to see if it's like healthy for the the people using it yeah um, yeah that's like um for me like that question um, is pretty broad so like um, yeah, I think a lot of times, um, fear is a big thing that causes people to jettison stuff. Like, let's say reading, um, a book about, um, like a fictional book about like fantasy that's mm-hmm. like, you know, this, like these elves from this like kingdom go on an adventure. It's like, do I believe that like elves are real and is that going to harm my like spiritual life like not necessarily but if I like find myself getting sucked into that world and like finding comfort and like um like uh, let's say like like so much affection for like the characters in these worlds that are actually like fictitious um and not like being present in the world around me and mm-hmm. like the present reality mm-hmm. um then yeah like that would be something that isn't healthy for my my overall like um yeah like just like spiritual mm-hmm. and like personal health um so i think with like yeah like the enneagram um it's like uh pretty easy to jump to like just get rid of it yeah well like if it's if it has like harmed um then like don't use it at all Mm -hmm. and we've talked about this like Mm -hmm. or if it's like super beneficial then everyone has to use it Mm -hmm. like that's Mm -hmm. like the Mm -hmm. um like the easy 
to impose, kind of path to impose, impose either direction. Sure. To say either get rid of it or you need to utilize this. Yeah. 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 So I think like um, for Christians at least, and I'm talking like stereotypical, kind of like evangelical culture. Um, Imposing fear. is our thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, fear is something that like drives yeah. um, a lot of, um, I think like, content that's generated online about things and like commentary and like statements about Mm -hmm. X thing Mm -hmm. um, because it is um, seen as dangerous. And that's not to say that it's not true, that it isn't dangerous, but like um, it just kind of like reveals, I think like, um, like the lack of trust that people have to, um, yeah, to like allow God to like help them examine it mm-hmm. without like um, tossing it out right away. Mm-hmm. And if someone's conclusion is to like toss something out because it's not beneficial or it's dangerous, then mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, like if you trust the Lord, like God's going to lead you on like those paths of righteousness to like, um, so that it like honors the Lord and honors other people and honors like your own health as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Those are some things that came to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these these next two things I want to talk about they they kind of go hand in hand and uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna confess on the front side like I'm I'm bringing receipts on this so I'm gonna ask a oh. question but I'm like <laughs> I, I, it's a setup for me to like talk about something very specific that I wanted sure. to talk about yeah, I just didn't yeah. have the time yeah so I mean, this um, is the time for it though so okay so one of the things that I talked about with Tyler that we just didn't have time to get into was this idea of like how should Christians relate to the culture? It's like this big philosophical question. Mm-hmm. And Tyler actually developed this sort of this spectrum. Uh, there's four spots on the spectrum, and it goes all the way from. Uh, well, let me let me let me tell you this the spots. Okay, so four different possible responses uh, related to Christians engaging the culture. Okay. Um. On the one end of the spectrum, you have the conformist. Okay. So the conformist is conformist. of the world. So it's like there is no difference. They're like, taking it wholesale. Taking it wholesale. So they may right. even use God, Jesus, Bible language, all that stuff. But in their functional day-to-day life, there's absolutely no difference in their values, hmm. in their decision-making, in their affections. They look Absolutely just like everybody else. No difference. Okay. So that's okay. one option. The conformist. conformist. Okay. Uh, then if, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to, I'm going to skip the two in the middle. Let's go all okay. the way to the other end. So if the conformist is one end, the other end is the fundamentalist and the fundamentalist is against the world. Mm. So if these people are all about like, I'm, I'm buying it wholesale. The fundamental, the fundamentalist is I'm rejecting it wholesale. wholesale. Like, it is me against the world. We need to fight against the world. The world is here to corrupt us. We're going to push back at every opportunity and turn. Mm-hmm. And they're sort of stuck in a perpetual fight mode. And and a lot of what you talked about a moment ago, this idea of that fears, it's a really motivating factor. And in a lot of cases, the, fundament, the fundamentalists are selling fear. It's like, and sure. let me say too, like, Fundamentalists uh, show up in both uh, as both conservatives and progressives. Like this is not, sure. it, but it's this idea of like it's us against, 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 against. Okay, so those are the two spectrums. Okay, mm-hmm. those ends. Okay, let's talk about the two in the middle. 
I'm curious what this is. I don't, I haven't heard of this. <laughs> what did you say? I'm curious what it is. I haven't yeah, yeah, heard yeah. Of it. yeah. Okay, so come one step back from fundamentalist, and you get the separatist. And these folks are outside okay. the world. Okay. Outside. So outside the world. So it's this idea of well, we're not going to fight everybody all the time, but we're also not going to live in culture. So if you get the fundamentalist, the fundamentalist is you know, for lack of a better term, they're going to be culture warriors. Hmm. Separatists are going to be Amish. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, and so, so on the one side, you've got folks that are like, we're going to fight constantly. But then the other folks go like, I don't want to fight all the time. Mm. But I also don't feel okay mm. about being a part of the world. So we're going to go build our okay. own society. Sure. We're going to go like build our own culture and be away from it. And a lot of Christians are attracted to that. You know, this sort and they of do. utopian vision. And they do look different. Like if yeah. you think of Amish culture totally. and like the way that people dress and totally. the way of living, it's it's very different. So yeah. it's pretty obvious that they're like separate from something. Okay, so uh, okay, so before I tell you the final category, just think about this as it relates to the Enneagram. Fundamentalists, mm-hmm. they ain't going to be into the Enneagram, <laughs> right? Because they're going to see it as it's part of the world. We're going to fight against the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Separatists are probably also not going to be into the Enneagram because they've got their own thing going. Like we have, we have the Bible. Why in the world do I need any of this other stuff? True. Uh, then all the way on the other end, the conformists—they don't care. They're fine with everything. So it's like it's all good. So Tyler proposes the people that uh, typically want to engage with the Enneagram the most are the final category, and those are the transformists. Mm-hmm. And those folks are in the world. So they would say we are in the world, but not of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are folks that typically are going to approach things uh, generally philosophically. It's like anything, God can redeem it, you know, even if it comes from these broken origins, you know. So this is like a, a really, I don't know, I don't know if this is the best example, but it makes me think of like ancient, uh, you know, these ancient religious temples that were built in the shape of Thor's hammer. And then oh. as the Christian church begins to rise, they take the same sort of blueprint that those, you know, that architecture was based on. But now the sanctuaries are in the shape of the cross. Like, okay. but it's this idea of like um, God's beauty and truth is so permeable and so at work in the world that we can look for him anywhere and that there's opportunity for him to redeem. So. If Southern Baptists became Southern Baptists originally because they wanted to own other human beings as slaves, uh, the transformists would look at it and go, hey, there's an opportunity here actually for us to repent of that and to change this institution. Um, and so uh, so, th- so he says the folks that tend to be the most into the, into the Enneagram as Christians, they take mm-hmm. the transformist approach. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, is that something he developed or something that he like? I don't know where. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where places. he got it. I'm gonna say yes, so he feels brilliant. I, I don't know. <laughs> it yeah. just sounds very like Keller slash like. Yeah, totally. Yeah. What, like yeah, something very similar to. Okay. Okay. So let Keller. me let me just like do it in chronological order because I did it in real weird order. So on the one end of the spectrum, you've got the fundamentalists who are against the world. Then you've got the separatists who are outside the world. You have the transformists who are in the world. And then you have the conformist who is of the world. So those mm-hmm. are the four categories. So with that being said, mm-hmm. this is these, here's, here's the receipts. This is the illustrations I wanted to do. There's this big question of can Christians redeem something from non-Christian origins? And so a lot of people hear the history of the Enneagram and they go like, I'm out. Like mm-hmm. there is no way. Um, 
uh, Beth and Jeff McCord on their website. If you go to yourenneagramcoach.com slash origins, uh, they have a bunch of illustrations of God's people working as transformists. So examples with that of that would be God used the Hittite uh, suzerain, I'm so sorry if I'm saying that wrong, suzerain uh, treaty, an accepted form of creating a covenant in its time to signify his relationship with Abraham and his offspring. So he's using something that is culturally done by lots of people mm-hmm. he's, in order to illustrate his relationship to his people. But mm. they did not necessarily, it's not like God, they did not create it. It was something that was already happening. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, in the book of Daniel, we see Daniel bring his faith to Babylon and while remaining faithful to the Lord, uh, learn the Babylonian culture and language. Psalm 104 has parallels to the great hymn to Aten, which was from the 14th to 13th century BC. Psalm 29 appears to be a Baal worship song that was adapted for Yahweh. The Genesis creation story appropriates significantly from the Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, In the book of Proverbs, a whole paragraph draws on an Egyptian wisdom text called the Instruction of Mm, of Amen, 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 Mope, Amen, Mope. Um, Yeah, I've heard of that one. But the basic idea that that is is functionally the truth is that a lot of times we come to the Bible, we go like we want the Bible to be totally insular, uncorrupted apart from all other everything, when the truth is that um, oftentimes we are actually seeing uh, elements that all people are in culture. Jesus was in a culture. He had a culture. The people of God throughout the Bible had a culture, and they were exposed to the broader world, but God was at work even through those cultures uh, doing things and redeeming Mm -hmm. things. So, um, So that's my philosophy as it comes to the Enneagram is like, I can totally, it does not, I think a lot of people are like, doesn't it bother you that these, and I'm like, not really, you know, it doesn't bother me. And so, sure. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on any of that? Um, yeah, I think it's like really cool um, that, yeah, there are like examples. Mm-hmm. I think um, making those parallels, I think is really interesting. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have that many thoughts on it, honestly. Yeah, that's okay. Just laid that's it okay. out, and I'm like, yeah, hey, looks good. Okay, well, let me turn the corner then to just our last few questions I want to talk about. So let's let's start with this one, uh, and and I'll ask it. You answer first, and then and then I'll okay. respond. Uh, so, in what ways do you believe the Enneagram can be helpful as people try to follow Jesus? Yeah, um, I remember one time we were talking about um, it's just like. Uh, and this didn't, this didn't go into the episode, I don't think, which was um, for anyone who is more like anti-Enneagram, like how will you like take the responsibility of being uh, like self-aware? Um, and I think like another way to say that is like, how can you take responsibility to self-examine? Because like self-awareness, like it's just like a different word or way to say like examine your heart. Yeah. And that's right. like in the Bible a lot. Um, like you say you judge people, but like, what about you? Mm -hmm. Um, or I forget what does Paul say? It's like, you're judging people, but why don't you judge yourself and examine your own heart? Um, so I think like with other like systems, like personality tests and like, um, essentially just prompts to like make someone aware of how they move and operate in the world. 
um, it's like helpful. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, like if the Enneagram helps like someone um, like identify this is like, um, yeah, like a pattern in which that like I mistreat others. Like mm-hmm. this is how I tend to, let's say, um, like out of like an insecurity or something like that. Um, like lash out in anger mm-hmm. or um, or be unresponsive to someone's pain because mm-hmm. um, it's like let's say like uh, things that Jesus teaches like about um, uh, well let me just rephrase that like how Jesus lived like um, and his uh, lifestyle essentially is like him being like attentive to other people's needs while also having like righteous anger. Um, And so like, how can we put like anger in it's like rightful place. So just like essentially knowing um, how Jesus lived and like um, seeing how different parts of yourself like doesn't does or does not line up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think that for me, um, you know, and I, this is funny, I, I think this might be just be part of my personality. Like, I actually see the Enneagram most helpful in its in its ability to locate the negative parts of who we are. Uh, I think the, the positive stuff's helpful, great, yes, obviously, but like, but I don't necessarily come to the Enneagram because things are going great. I'm coming because, like, I'm trying to figure out what's what's not working. Mm. Um, and I think that what the Enneagram offers that's really beneficial to us in our relationship with Christ is that it shows us the schemes and patterns by which we avoid trust and we avoid intimacy. And um, because we're so clever as people. And I think mm. in particular one of the things that the Enneagram is really beautiful uh, in its execution of is this idea that all of us have a deadly sin and that it's the deadly sin is so permeates who we are that it doesn't feel evil. It doesn't feel dangerous. It doesn't feel destructive. It actually feels very rational and reasonable. And, um, and I think that that, that, uh, is only an additional affirmation of the truth of scripture, the extent of, of, of which, you know, how is sin permeating us and keeping us from trusting the Lord, keeping us to have intimacy with him and other people and ourselves. And mm. um, So I think the ability for us to, I think the Enneagram offers an ability for us to see our brokenness with a level of specificity that at least in a lot of Christian vernacular, we can sometimes avoid. We'll talk in big category to say sin, and we just mean like this big thing. And I think the Enneagram mm. helps us get a little more specific and exactly the patterns of how that sin is playing out. Um, but then, and then on the flip side would be, man, the beauty of Jesus in in response to that. Like, I mean, the, there's these moments where like, if you really kind of dig into certain aspects of the Enneagram and you have to wrestle and contend with, this is how I move in the world in these broken ways. And then you really begin to realize like, oh my gosh, Jesus has always been abiding with me amidst that and his responded to me in these particular ways. Like, yeah, so I think um, I think one of the, the greatest benefits is that it can show us the ways in which we subtly and cleverly try to avoid trusting God at a deep level um, and, uh, and not having to have intimacy with him and other people. Mm-hmm. 
Um, okay, so let's flip the question. Like yeah. Okay. So then on the flip side, so if, if there, these are some of the ways the Enneagram can be helpful, what are some of the ways that you believe the Enneagram can hold people back from following Jesus? Mm. And let, let me say this too. Let's just say in what ways can the Enneagram, even the even a Christian approach the Enneagram? Because uh-huh. it's one thing, like, I don't even, we don't even necessarily need to talk about a secular approach. Like, that's devoid of Christ altogether. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm not worried about I shouldn't say I'm not worried. I'm I am worried about that. That's yeah, but it's a totally different this com- conversation. But this yeah. conversation, even a Christian approach to the Enneagram, in what ways do you think it can hold us back? Um, hmm. I think um, kind of like one thing, like I've thought about. I've also like heard other people talk about. So it's not an original idea, but it's like getting stuck in, um. Like, always, like, thinking there's some, like, work to be done. And there is. Like, there always is work to be done and, like, continued sanctification. Um, But kind of, like, I think sometimes Christians can get stuck in, like, a loop of, um, like, believing there's always something that needs to be, uh, like, constantly, like, strived for. And Mm. I don't think that's, like, a bad thing to be, like, continuing to work on themselves. But there is, like, freedom that we have, um, like, in Christ where, like, it's not just about, like, me working on myself, but, like, trusting that God's going to do the work in me so I can kind of, like, relax a bit to Mm. not, um, like, always have to be, like, it's not on me all the time to be self-aware. Like mm-hmm. we have people in our communities slash like brothers and sisters of Christ who can help us also like this be is aware this, of ourselves. This is not the response I thought you were going to say. It's It kind of fascinates me. Oh, yeah. Well, this is just like something I've thought about. Yeah. So I think it's like because um, I'm thinking of like legalism. Essentially. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah, like totally. getting t- stuck in. Like working really hard, and like that's legalism attaches itself to anything. Yeah, yeah. So and if like it attaches pa- to the a big Enneagram. part of like my like stories and like yeah. personalities too is like getting really stuck in like the constant like striving and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, yeah like um, for this conversation, we believe in Jesus, and like mm-hmm. Jesus is gonna do a good work in us. So it's like, um, if you are like the most like like knowledgeable about like the Enneagram and how like every single like part of it works like that's wonderful but then like you can also you don't have to um like learn all of that for Jesus to be doing a good work in you yeah totally. so it's like totally um I think like anything like take it too far right but then like with any kind of like system of like understanding and like knowledge it can be easy to be like I can what's like the next thing I need to figure out so that I'm better? Mm -hmm. What's the next thing to figure out Mm -hmm. so that I'm better? Mm -hmm. But I think there's a degree that we can just like relax a little bit and like be like, okay, I've like done this amount of, let's say like self-examination and, um, uh, yeah. Like looking at my heart, like ultimately like in the Bible talks about like, we can't change our own hearts ultimately. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, God's work in us and the Holy Spirit, um, like revealing these, like, um, let's say like sinful things in our hearts. And then like the Lord's going to do the work, um, in us. So there is kind of like this dual personal responsibility and trusting Mm -hmm. that God's going to do the work too. Yeah. It's like grace makes room for both diligence and acceptance. And like there's both those things kind of have to be at play. 
mm. where it's got to be, I, I have to be able to accept this is where I am and God accepts me as I am because of yeah. Christ. And I also continue to strive. Uh, and, and it's this strength that, you know, it's problematic. If I rest for too long, that's an issue. Yeah. And if I'm constantly like obsessively yeah. striving, that's mm-hmm. another issue. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's not exalt. I don't know. That's not what I thought you would say. So I like that. I really <laughs> yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one thought. Well, yeah. What about you? Um, I think, you know, I resonate a lot with what you just said. I mean, I I have had, um, I do, I have that tendency to want to just, I mean, it's kind of in my disposition. Like, uh, you know, I tend to want to have heavy conversations. I can get kind of serious at times. And, sure. Um, like, I struggle to make just sort of light social conversation. Like, I, I'm just kind of a prober. I just always want to go a little deeper. And um, and there have been times in the last couple of years where loving friends of mine have just said, um, hey, you know, you're always going to find something. You know, there, if you look for what's the next broken thing inside of you, you're always going to find something. Um, yeah. and, and they said um, they really encouraged me, like – slow down, let it go for a while, focus on Christ. And the Enneagram was one piece of the issue that was at play, but it was really, that was more, it was my disposition. Sure. And, um, you know, because the same thing would show up in my 20s. It wasn't the Enneagram. At that time, it was actually scripture. I would sort of plow through scripture and what's going on with my heart and what I need to work on. And um, so uh, I think that one of the ways that the Enneagram can be um, dangerous. You know, you and I have had this conversation, um, and it's just sort of this idea that, uh, the Enneagram is a really potent tool. Um, it it has a lot of, let me say it this way. It has a lot of explanatory power if you give it that Mm. degree of explanatory power. Mm. And I think that there can be a real temptation for people to give the Enneagram more explanatory power than it is actually due. Sure. Um, Could you give me an example? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, there can be a temptation to to begin to literally only see people in sort of within Enneagram dynamics and, and instead of realizing people are just infinitely more complex than the, the Enneagram is, is you know, um, we interviewed John Collins recently from the Bible Project, and this was one of the things that, that we talked about with him was this idea that you know, he talked about this idea that the Bible is attempting to explain the infinity of God, like, and it's ta- it's taking this sort of the infinite and putting it into finite language because, and he said, like, basically, cause we'll go insane if, <laughs> if we don't. And he said that the Enneagram is attempting to do the same thing. It's taking sort of this, the infinite of humanity, like it's way, we are way more complicated than we realize and, and bringing order to it. And there's a danger on both ends of those spectrums. If you attempt to go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna control the way I see other people and the way that I'm understood by making it mm. just about the enneagram, and I'm gonna put it all in a tight box. Um, I think that's one level of danger. And then the other side is go, all of that stupid. You can't, you know, make quantify anybody in any way, and there's no patterns in anything. Well, that's a level of chaos that I think is also mm. really dangerous. But as it relates to like, how can it harm people? I do think that there can be a sense in which our fascination with the Enneagram and uh, if we buy in too much, if we give it too much explanatory power, Mm. we can turn away from Jesus accidentally. Yeah. 
I mean, we've talked about too, you've told me about like examples and like uh, ministry settings that people have like wielded it really oh, like yeah, poorly. Totally. And, yeah. and it's like um, knowing people's like, uh, like tendencies and like patterns and then essentially like abusing that. Yes. Um, and so like that is very, that's like a, it comes to like a story too that we didn't get to cover. Like I think there are a lot of stories yeah. um, out there similar to that storyline where someone essentially used like um, like the Enneagram and knowing about someone else's personality with very um, like strong and like powerful explanatory language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it can lead to like manipulation mm-hmm. because they didn't, the other person was unhealthy and had bad motives. Yeah, because there's a level where like, you know, if we know somebody else's Enneagram type, we are also aware of what they are most afraid of and most ashamed of. Sure. And 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 so, yeah, I think there's a lot of people, man, they can. And, and there's probably moments I've been guilty of it as well. I've probably, you know, not utilized that knowledge with the most wisdom at times. And so, yeah, so I think there's I think there's a lot of ways that you know, we just get our eyes off Jesus, you know? And Yeah. And, yeah. And I think going back to the question, it's like, that's like using something that's in service for the self or like yeah. in service for someone's personal gain or like desires. Um, it's service of the self at the exclusion of others. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like it's like I'm serving myself and it's not actually in a way that's good for community. It's not actually in a way like that's leading and, to flourishing. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I also know that's a whole other thing is like Christians would be like, you shouldn't think about it. And that we have seen what happens when Christians don't think about themselves at all. They lose all self-awareness and they begin to act out in ways that are contrary to their convictions and they have no idea they're doing mm-hmm. it because they're not paying attention. And so it's, yeah, all, yeah. all things in balance, right? Yeah. I'm trying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So let me, let me land the plane here. So this is the big question. So last question, what changed for you regarding your attitude toward the Enneagram or its application? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like definitely from the onset, because I didn't have any kind of like frame of reference of like origins um, before starting the episode or just like kind of like the pre-production part of the episode, um, there is like a good bit of like fear um, in me that's like, um, like I would not want to participate in anything that has, um, essentially like evil intent. Um, mm-hmm. that's just like, well, I don't know anyone who really wants to do that mm-hmm. or like does mm-hmm. that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there, there is a pretty like natural, like bucking against, um, or just like wall that's kind of like, uh, put down, for like safety, you know, that's like just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think therefore my like attitude was definitely more like, like hands off and like, um, kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. Like just not wanting to like touch it. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the potential. Yeah. Because of potential like yeah. danger and stuff like that. Um, like there might be a murderer in that room. I'll go enjoy all 10 other rooms. Yeah, so like, why would I want to go? Why would into I want to go into that room? Murder yeah, if yeah. I can just kind of like hang sure. out here and wait for the murderer to come to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And then once that situation comes, then I'll like you know uh-huh, face uh-huh, the head on and uh-huh, stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I think um, probably just like 
the things that have changed the most is just like the the process of it, like of engaging with um, like wrestling with um, one, like the topic with you and then with other people in the office, um, listening to a bunch of different like perspectives like online and stuff like that. Um, when it comes to like what changed my attitude, I think it just like was really humbling to engage with um, like people who are willing to have the conversation, you mm-hmm. know, people who are like, um, yeah, like not uh, afraid to approach it, but also um, are willing to uh, like offer charity and grace mm-hmm. to like wanting to understand uh, like an opposing side. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that um, was something that like happened throughout this process. Yeah, because um, and, and let me clarify too. Uh, again, yeah. we record so much stuff that never goes in an episode. So like, <laughs> there's whole conversations like you and Lindsay Lewis had. Yeah, and it didn't make it in. You know, yeah, that was and, like 45, well, half an hour. Yeah, and and Lindsay, um, I'm gonna imagine at some level Lindsay's one of the people you're referring to about that exchange back and forth. Sure. I mean, there's like probably every conversation that I had had something to do with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, hmm. well, give me another minute if you could, yeah. um, maybe if you can give it a shot and then if there's something else, I'll yeah, yeah. add to it. Yeah. Cause I am curious cause I do want to, I, I would be curious for you, like if, if there's like a final verdict. So let me, let yeah, me, yeah. I'll respond and then, and then I know yeah. I might need a minute for So, that. um, I think the biggest thing that changed for me, I think I had, you know, you and I talked a little bit about this um, very early on in the production for this episode is like, um, I have a a certain degree of hurt from the church over the last several years and a certain degree of feeling betrayed by Christians and in particular people that I really respected through the years. And -hmm. I think that I didn't realize it till it kind of came and went, but Jackie O'Perry's comments really caught me off guard um, because Mm -hmm. the truth is I had worked for years on trying to, you know, write this book and get this publishing deal. And, you know, it was a big deal for me and it was a big sacrifice for our team for Mm -hmm. me to go. And not that, you know, my book rises and falls according to everything that she says, but I think I was really surprised by how much it hurt me. And I think that in response to that, I think that there are moments where I just really wanted to throw punches harder than what was wise um, mm-hmm. as in reaction to that. Um, and I think that through this process, what I definitely experienced was just a softening toward people that have deep worries and concerns and convictions. And, um, and I think that as opposed to maybe my initial tendency would have been to kind of like, you know, dismiss those viewpoints. I think that through the, this process, I think there's a real sense of, I, I, I feel a greater responsibility that, it, especially if I become aware that somebody's really not comfortable with it, to be very thoughtful about the way I dialogue about it, um, mm. if at all. You know, sure. in some cases don't even bring it up. Um, and, uh, and so I think I just feel a greater sensitivity around that. And I think um, a deeper sympathy for why some Christians really do feel troubled um, by mm-hmm. it. You know, my wife pointed out, she was like, she's like, you know, imagine if I was quoting 
from Joel Osteen all the time. You know, she's like, wouldn't you have concerns about that? And and the answer is, yeah, I would. Like, mm-hmm. I think that was really weird because I think he's, you know, got horrible theology. And mm-hmm. so I, I think recognizing that some Christians, that's the equivalent for them. Um, mm. And uh, so I, I think that for me, the biggest shift would be I feel a lot softer towards people that don't share my view of it um, and a greater responsibility for how I dialogue and utilize it. And then the third piece would be um, over the course of this, like we're going to do some rearranging even in terms of how it's applied in the Love That Neighborhood program for our young sure. adults. Um, and uh, and really kind of try to approach it with a little bit of a lighter touch um, and, and see if that can be a little more helpful for folks. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think it's like cool that um I don't know, I'm just like encouraged to hear that and like it's like really encouraging I think hearing that from someone who's like a leader um and that like um yeah, it's encouraging cuz it helps it helps me like trust you more and like mm. helps me to like really trust that um like you and I already know that you have like a high like level of care um, and like you care so much that like you're being sensitive to um, like your approach, not just like where you land on something, but like how something is like thought, the process in which um, you think about things and like approach people. So that's just like really encouraging for me. Yeah. Well, so. good. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. You were going to ask about yeah, the final Okay. So or? yeah, for you. <laughs> For you, if you kind of had to make like a final verdict, if you go, okay, this is kind of my summary (laughs) of where I land. Like, what's your summary of where you land with the Enneagram? Oh, gosh. Summaries are tough for me, like for real. Um, I could borrow Michelle's balance sheet language because that's actually really helpful for Uh me. uh Um, I would say, yeah, like plenty of things got resolved when it comes to like... um, yeah, concerns about like origins and stuff like that. It's not as concerning for me anymore. Like, um, let's say, uh, like that it wasn't ancient, but it's actually modern. That's not as concerning. Um, it still like does like sketch me out of like, like the way that it was kind of brought about essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to like the new age, um, uh, like people that it came from. Um, cause I think there's, there's still like concerns about like, um, like adjacent teachings from the new age essentially being combined with like the Enneagram because it has like, um, been like, because it kind of like came from that. So there's like, when it comes to ancient modern, that's like, okay, yeah, it's modern. Great. Um, so it's like there's still a little bit of concerns about like how in some ways, like, I don't know how to describe it. Like teachings kind of just get carried over. New age teachings could get like leaked over. Um, but I think if like from a Christian perspective, if like Christians are really um, like intentional and like um, with like a lot of care, like using it to point people to like, be like Jesus to like um, acknowledge like sin in their life and like the world um, and like if it's used to like really like ha- with like a desire to 
be like Jesus and then do what Jesus tells us to do, mm-hmm. um, then like I feel a lot more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, even like, let's say it being used here at Love Thy Neighborhood, I'm like, okay, yeah, I feel like more comfortable with it mm-hmm. being used mm-hmm. um, because I trust that the people who are like teaching it want the people who they're teaching it to to be more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my shot as summary. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, come um, that's, that's yeah, that's great. Um, so I don't know for what it's worth. The one thought that does come to mind is I think it's a very reasonable thought, and I say this, you know, for anybody that's listening to this. I think I say it for myself, for you as well. That question of how much of the new age teaching, new age teaching, is kind of continued onward. Sure. Um, but I think that around that, the 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 burden does come back to us to to um, to name with specificity what that might be. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times, you know, mm. I would listen to anti enneagram folks, and they use these big categorical phrases. You know, mm. it's like it's a, this and it's this. But um, specificity is really important in that conversation. Yeah. So because I think in a lot of cases, I would actually contend that actually a lot of these new age folks were borrowing from Christendom. Like all we're doing in a lot of cases is taking it back. I, mm. I don't, I don't, I think a lot of the ideas that they're toying around with, um, and we just didn't have the time to go into it, you know, but I mean, there's just so much that comes from ancient Christian theology. And, uh, and so I think these folks are, we're taking it and twisting it. And I think that it's an opportunity for us just to go, no, nah, I think we're gonna take that back and we're gonna, you know, look at it correctly. So yeah, um, yeah, and that takes a little while to parse out because it's it does. like totally yeah, like if it was like borrowed from a long time ago and then used and then yep. it's a game of telephone. It kind of yeah, gets yeah. like messed up as it goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe uh, maybe Tyler can do something like that. Yeah, that'd yeah. be helpful. Um, okay, my final sort of statement around the enneagram. I think that um, I really um, I do like the phrase that the the enneagram is an ego reduction tool. I think that that was a. I actually think that's a helpful phrase. I think it's a really helpful way to sort of think about the enneagram, um, and in terms of its application and its usage, um, I definitively stand here uh, feeling even more confirmed. It does not have the transformative power of Jesus Himself. Um, no system, no tool, can ever do what God Himself can do, um, and I do understand why some people feel like that's enough. Um, but I, uh, I think that in all of our brokenness, God and his kindness gives us lots and lots of things to help us begin to understand what's going on. So, uh, everything from, you know, if somebody gets Alzheimer's and hopefully there's more advancements to help us understand what's going on there all the way to, you know, uh, the alphabet, like, but I think that there are just a lot of gifts that God gives us that are not necessarily tied directly to issues of salvation, um, uh, but I think that mm. um, yeah, I think that's a good call out. Yeah, yeah, it's like when we are saved, we are saved, and then like, how does God work out that salvation and continued sanctification in us? Totally. There's like a lot of like beautiful um, and like diverse ways that the Lord does that all over the world. Yeah, like not just with like personality systems, but yes. Um, yes. in different cultures and different countries, the way that. Like God redeems, um, like a village that like used to worship idols and stuff like that, but still mm-hmm. retains their like, uh, like dance culture or like right. their um, uh, like textile like cultures and like the way that they work and stuff like that. Yep. But. Yeah. Totally. 
So, um, so yeah, I um, and and then let me say this too, and I think I've made it clear. You know, um, I think it is a it, it is wrong and a tragedy that that so many Christians were sold on the lie that it came from Christendom, and um, and I think that that's something that is worth paying attention to. But I would also flip it and say, um, there's so much. Tr- uh, there's so much truth, not capital T Jesus truth, like not Jesus himself as the truth, but just not lies, things that are true to reality that are in the Enneagram. And they're pulling they're pulling from the truth of God, even if they don't realize it. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so I think the Enneagram can be a very helpful tool for people. Um, but as all tools go, it needs to be held in its proper place. It's not salvific. It is not the gospel. It is not Jesus. Like all tools and all things that we enjoy, we tend to let it run away and get a little too big. Uh, but I would encourage, before you throw it out, um, you know, take some time to actually try to put it back in its proper place. And the other thing, let me uh, one last thing. One last thing would be <laughs> this: um, if you know, for folks that have not, I would encourage folks to really honestly take time and to meditate on some of the specifics related to their type. The spe- Like, what is this deadly sin doing to my life and how can I see it at play? But then as a response to that, what is the invitation to see the goodness of Jesus responding to that? And he always has been. Um, so, um, yeah. So in the end, uh, I would love to see people utilize the Enneagram, but I'm also, it's okay if they don't. Uh, Tons of Christians throughout the the ages have followed Jesus faithfully without without it, and that's just one option. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for listening um, and for joining us on Patreon. Um, feel free to um, share what you've heard on yeah. this um, kind of like conversation. Yeah, yeah. So thanks everybody, and uh, yeah, we've got some more episodes coming up soon. <laughs>